Clay Clay. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Luke, chapter number 9. We're going to begin our reading today in verse 18. Luke, chapter 9, and verse 18. And it came to pass, as he, that is Christ, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I don't know if you realize it or not, but it's easy to prove that Satan is the master at bait and switch. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you see in his dealings with Eve how, you know, he promised one thing, but uh, the end result was something entirely different. When I think about the world and all of the confusion that's in the world, it really doesn't surprise me. After all, the Bible speaks about the world being in bondage, as it were, to the God of this world, that is Satan, and they've been blinded from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't be confused that uh, that they are confused about these things. What what is shocking is that so many professing Christians understand so little about the Christian life, and their ignorance is appalling. They don't seem to understand even the nature of the Christian life. Now, I'm saying all of this for a reason. I'm not just beating my gums together. I'm not just trying to fill up space and take time, but I'm trying to lay a foundation for our thoughts here this morning based on our text that I'll read again in just a moment. Some folks have turned Christianity on its head, and by that I mean they've made it all about man instead of about God. Those most responsible for this uh, are those that have been uh, the proponents of this self-love, self-esteem movement. Men like James Dobson, as much as I admire some of the work that he's done in regards to the family, he and Robert Schuller and numerous others have promoted this idea that has been embraced by a lot of preachers today, popular, famous preachers, about self-esteem and self-love. And as a result of that, they've misled millions of people. What we've done is to create a God in our own image. 
And by that, I simply mean that we now think of God as being uh, being a servant who follows us around and, you know, to do our bidding, to help us when we're in need, to make us happy when we're sad. In other words, we have the idea that God exists for us. That it's all about us and not so much about Him. And the fact of the matter is we've got it entirely backwards because genuine Christianity has to do with following Christ. And let me tell you right now, if you are living for self, you're not following Christ. And if you're not following Christ, you're on the wrong track. I want you to notice what Jesus said in verse 23. This is our text today. In fact, just one small part of it, the very last words, is what I want to speak to you about. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If I counted right, Jesus used that phrase, follow me, 19 times in the New Testament. It's a very simple statement, but it's a very serious subject. And although it's short, it is simple, it speaks volumes. It is packed full of meaning, and it's a great way to sum up all of our responsibilities toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think this morning about following Christ. Notice the speaker. It says, He said. I underlined that. I colored it in yellow in my Bible. He said. Now remember, this is the most controversial man who has ever lived. If you go back to verse 7, 8, and 9 in this chapter, you'll see the confusion about him. And that's what prompted him to say to the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Everyone was confused about who he was. And and that's been the same way throughout history. There's never been a more controversial person than the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, he's not just a controversial person, but notice in verse 20, it says, he is the Christ of God. Now that matters. He is the Christ of God. Remember, he is the one speaking to us. That means he demands an audience. Look in verse 35. Where God said, this is my beloved son, hear him. He demands an audience because he is the Christ of God. He declares this with authority. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all. He's God. And he is speaking here with authority. And that deserves our attention because he has our best interests. At heart, he says, follow me. Now, notice not only the speaker, but the students. And I use that word intentionally, and I'll explain in a moment. Notice it says, he said to them all. And if you go back and look in verse number 18 again, it came to pass as he was alone praying. Notice his disciples were with him. So we know who He is speaking to. He is speaking to his followers. These are people that have already come to him. And by the way, you have to come to him before you can follow after him. 
So they have come to him. In fact, the Bible says they have forsaken all in order to follow him. But notice that he is speaking to all of them. He said to them all. In other words, discipleship is not just for a spiritual elite. It's not for some special group among all of the Christians. This is God's purpose for every believer. And I call them students because the word disciple means learners. It's speaking about someone, and the best way to describe it is with the word apprentice. Because disciples are not just students in the sense that they learn. They are apprenticed in that they take what they learn and put it into practice. They live what they learn. That's what a disciple is. That's who these men are. They are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the subject that he's speaking about. It's not an offer of salvation. We don't become Christians by trying to follow Christ. We don't become Christians by just saying, well, I'll deny myself certain things or I'll endure certain hardships or, you know, whatever it is. These men have already received Him, acknowledged Him as their Lord and Savior. They understand that. This has to do with a call to discipleship. Discipleship always comes after deliverance. Our service for God comes after our salvation from God. And God expects every person of faith to become a follower. You see, following Christ is the evidence of our faith. You don't become a Christian by just trying to act like a Christian or look like a Christian or talk like a Christian. You know, somebody can say, well, you know, I'm trying my very best to live according to the golden rule. I'm trying my very best, you know, to, to do what I think Jesus would have done. Well, look, that's all well and good. But that kind of human effort's not going to get you to heaven. We are saved by grace through what? Faith. Nothing else. You, you, the moment you try to add something to that or take something away from it, you've destroyed the means of salvation. So this is a call to discipleship. And it's as though he's telling these men that you have, you know, trusted me as the Lord of your life. You have identified yourself as my disciples. Now it's time to live it out. In other words, there's no false advertising, no bait and switch with Jesus. He was always open and up front. And, and, and we see this clearly when we get to the specifics here as he begins to deal with the demands of discipleship. We live in a day and age where, and by the way, this is a philosophy a lot of preachers, you know, that if we're going to get a big crowd and build a big church, make a name for ourselves, we've got to appeal to the people of the world and that's why several years ago, Rick Warren started what they called their seeker services. And in order to determine what kind of music they were going to sing, they went out into the neighborhood and took a survey of the people, uh, the non-churchgoers, of what style of music they preferred, and that's the style they used in the church. In other words, they're letting a bunch of unsaved people determine what kind of songs they're going to sing in the church. That's about as nonsensical as you can get. But that is exactly where we're at in a lot of these mega churches that design everything for the sake of trying to, uh, of trying to appeal to what 
people like, what people enjoy. And Jesus comes along and he says, look, fellas, these are the demands of discipleship. And notice there's at least four things that I want you to notice that he says. The first demand here has to do with renunciation. He says you must deny yourself, that is renounce yourself. Now let me tell you, that's the last thing most of us want to do, right? You know, you know, most of us, we don't want to deny ourselves. We want to indulge ourselves. We want to get what we want, and we want it right now. We want to do whatever it is that pleases us, and that's exactly why the world's in such a mess. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way. Isn't that what people are doing today? We've thrown the Bible out the window. We've totally ignored what the Word of God teaches, and we've turned to our own way. We've got a better idea. We know more about how we ought to live than God does. We'll make our own list of rules. We'll even vote on it and try to get the majority approval. And if we can get their approval, why, we can do anything we want to do. Let me tell you, that's what politics is all about today, is doing what people want to do instead of what they ought to do. The very moment someone stands up in the face of the nation with a Bible in their hand and says, this is the pattern by which we ought to govern our lives, all of a sudden a person like that is hated and despised and persecuted. The very thing we need is the last thing we want. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. You say, well, deny myself of what? Well, that's simple. Anything that hinders you from your walk with God, your work for God, or your worship of God. If it is a hindrance to you in any way whatsoever, you need to deny yourself and turn away from it. Why? Well, because discipleship demands that we put Christ first in everything. In everything. Turn over to chapter number 14 for just a moment. Chapter 14, and here the same subject basically, he says in verse 26. Luke 14 and verse number 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sister Jake, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now understand that he's using language that we can relate to. He's speaking in relative terms. Certainly we're not to hate our parents and hate our spouse and hate our children. We're, we're not to do that. The Bible teaches otherwise. We are to love them. In fact, we are even to love our enemies. But in comparison to our love for God, it's as though that we hate them. In other words, our love for Him is so much greater. And he's saying, if you're going to be my disciple... You have to have the attitude that I am the most important thing in all of this world. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Now verse 33, he just sums it all up. He says, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Do you get the picture yet? Remember, he said what? We must deny ourselves. In other words, we have to put Christ first in everything. 
Boy, whenever you start measuring your life by that standard, all of a sudden we're not so high and mighty as we think we are. We're not so spiritual as we pretend to be. Deny ourselves. But notice it doesn't end there. He says, notice there's not only the renunciation, there's responsibility. He says, we, he says you ought to take up your cross. Well, we live in a day where everybody wants everything without any commitment to anything. People, that's the way in regards to money. They want money, but they don't want to make a commitment to do anything to get it. They want success, but they don't want to commit themselves to an avenue that will lead to success. You'd be surprised how many people you know that say, well, I want to be the CEO of some major corporation someday, but I, I don't know, I just don't want to go to college. In fact, I'm not too sure I want to finish high school. Let me tell you, and I don't know how to say it any, any better so that you'll get the message. That's what a nitwit would think. That's as dumb as you can get. If you're going to succeed, you have to prepare yourself for success. You cannot expect success without making proper preparation. But still, as I said, we live in a day where people want all of these things without any commitment. People want sex with no commitment. Girls, you better be careful whenever he whispers in your ear and says, Oh, I love you. If you'll just let me, I'll love you for the rest of my life. I love you more than him. What he really means is I want to use you for a little while. Now that, that's all, it, look, he didn't want any commitment. That, that's why we've got so many single mothers trying to raise families. And when they fail, all of a sudden grandmother is raising the kids because of the absentee fathers. People that just want sex without any commitment. And that list goes on and on. Some people are the same way about friendship. They want to have a lot of friends. They want people to glad hand them. They want people, you know, that will do favors for them and everything else. But they don't want to make any commitment. Some people are church members like that. They don't want to make any commitment to the church. Oh, they want to be a member because after all, someday they're going to die or maybe their daughter wants to get married or whatever it is. They want to be a member so they want a preacher that'll, you know, that'll marry them and bury them. And so, yeah, I got to be a member of the church, an upstanding member of the community. And they join the church, but they don't want to make a commitment. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. responsibility in assuming the burdens that are laid upon you as a result of you following the Lord. And then notice there's something else here. If we're going to follow the Lord, it requires regularity on our part because he says take up your cross daily, daily. I challenge you to go through the book of Acts sometimes and notice how many times that word daily is used. It's really amazing Daily and in every house they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. And daily this and daily that. You see, Christianity is something we do daily. It's not something that we do on occasion. It's not something we do for entertainment. It's not something that we do as a hobby. 
It's a relationship requiring a responsibility and we are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why he says you have to take up your cross, you have to deny yourself daily. And then there's something else that is implied by this statement, follow me, and that is a redirection. A redirection. Because none of us by nature are going in that direction. But when we become a disciple, all of a sudden there is a redirecting of our time, our energy, everything about us. All of a sudden there is a change in the direction of our lives. That requires a demand for faith. Let me tell you, following Christ isn't always convenient. It has a way of interrupting your plans and even changing the entire direction of your life. If you're going to follow the Lord, you've got to make some decisions that are not going to be convenient. The best job offers I've ever received in my life were those that I received within 30 days after I'd surrendered to preach. All of a sudden, I'm getting calls from Jackson, Mississippi, and from places up in Missouri. At one place called, they wanted me to be the city engineer, and I told them I'd only have a degree, and they said, that doesn't make any difference. Your boss has told us about you. We know you can do the work, and we want you to come up and interview for the job. The other place from Jackson, Mississippi called and said, we'll fly you down there. We want to talk to you and, uh, about this job, and so... I decided to go down there, and by the time I got back, and my preacher said, "I'm going to," he said, "I'm going to pray you don't take that." And I said, "Why? I, I, man, I'm going to be making all kinds of money." He said, "Well, where are you going to church?" I said, "Well, I don't know about that." I, I said, "Surely there's a church around there, a good church." He said, "What if there's not?" Well, I mean, I'm I'm digging deep now and thinking, okay, how do I answer this? I said, "Well, maybe I'll start one." And he said, like I said, I'm going to pray you don't take the job. And the other day I went home and I prayed, and before the night was over, I realized he's right. The point I'm trying to make here is that when he says, follow me, that is a demand for faith because it's not always convenient, it's not always easy, and a lot of times we have to make sacrifices if we're going to be in the will of God. And I, I've often said, and I hope nobody takes this wrong, but I hope you get the message. It's amazing to me that a church, just like they did, what, 29, almost going on the 30th year now, I get a phone call from old Brother Gilbert Wood saying, well, uh, the church has called you to be the, our, our next pastor. Really? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, the, the, the church had expectations that we'd just get a moving van, pack up our stuff, move down to Texas. I never thought about living in Texas at all. I don't want to offend you, but I never really wanted to live in Texas. Until I got here, and of course I don't want to leave now. But but wouldn't it have been awful if I had said, "Oh yeah, I, I know. Yeah, the, yeah, no doubt the Spirit of God led the church to call me as your pastor." And you know, I prayed about it, and I know deep down in my heart that's really the right thing for me to do. But I, it's this going to be so hard. Take my kids out of school. I got a boy that's a star football, baseball player here, you know, and I got these other kids all involved in band and involved in, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to skip on that. I, I, 
Now, let me tell you, following the Lord is not convenient and it's not easy, but it's the right thing to do. And how dare you expect that out of my wife and my kids and you not be willing to do the same thing? I, got, I get kind of mad sometimes when people say, well, I'm going to move here and I'm going to move there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Look, if the Spirit of God is directing you to do that, I'm all for you. But God gets blamed for a lot of stuff He doesn't have anything to do with. It's not convenient, it's not easy, it's not even always fun. And it's certainly not popular. Being a follower of Christ is going to put you in the minority. Let me tell you that right now. And they don't hand out any prizes for faithful service. In other words, you're not going to win the Man of the Year award. You're not going to be the most popular person in your community. But it's the right thing to do. Let me tell you something else. It's not even always crystal clear because we can't see the future. I think about Abraham and God called, really, every time I think about Abraham, I think about Sarah. Bless her heart. I mean, her husband comes in and says, baby, pack your bags. We're going to move. And she says, where are we going? He says, I don't know. You don't know where we're going? How are we going to live? What are we going to do? I don't know. God just said to, God just said to leave. Well, I better get all of the clan. No, no, no. You can't take all of the family. You can't take all of the clan. You can't invite your friends. This just between us and God. Can you imagine the faith it took on Sarah's part to say, all right, I'm willing to follow you. You don't meet many people like that today. I happen to be married to one like that that's followed me around now for 50 years. Actually, longer than that, but 50 years of ministry. I was so proud of the other day. We had some plans and something come up, and 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 in talking to a person, I said, you know, no, I, I can't do that now. I've already got these plans. Hung up the phone and was telling her what the conversation was about. She said, no, no. She said, you go... You go do what you need to do. We'll do that some other time. Yeah. Following the Lord's not easy. It's not convenient. It's not always fun. It's not always crystal clear because we don't, listen, we don't always know what's down the road. What we do know is that in following the Lord, it's the right thing to do. It's the best thing to do. It's the safest thing to do. Redirection. He says, follow me. That's a demand for faith. But also it's the declaration of a friend. Notice he says, me. Follow me. Now remember, this is Christ. He is the captain of the Lord's host. He is the king over the kingdom. He is the master of men. He is the Lord of all and... And he's speaking as a friend to friends. Wow, that, that amazes me to think that the Lord of all would even think of me on, on the level as being a friend. He's saying, come on, follow me. I know where I'm going. Follow me. That ought to get your attention. 
You know, the world constantly is bidding you to come and to follow them. But when someone that you know that loves you and someone that's going in the right direction, that's going to do the right thing, and they say, come and go with me, come on and follow me, it, 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 it makes it all different. This is Christ. He's, let me tell you, he's never led anyone astray. He says, follow me. That's a deterrent to failure. It's also the door to fruitfulness, that is to success in our life. He said in Matthew 4, 19, he, he told his same man, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You, you see, when we're following the Lord, it always results in us becoming something for the Lord. And, and what happens is when you become a sold out, dedicated disciple to Christ, all of a sudden you want everybody to experience what you enjoy in Christ. You want them to have that same experience. And that's why he said, you follow me. You, you become fishers of men. Do you realize that is an indictment against a lot of our church members that, that have never made any effort to be a fisher of men? You know why? Because they're not following him. He said, you follow me. He didn't say you might. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now I could go on and on and talk about the delightful future because great is your reward in heaven. I could talk about a lot of things, but I want to sum this up. We ought to wake up every morning with these two words staring us in the face. Follow me. Somebody ought to make a plaque that just says, follow me, and then signed Jesus. Put that somewhere where you can see it every morning. You get up out of bed and you look at those words and it reminds you, this is my responsibility for the day. It's not quite clear. It won't be fun. It won't be easy. It might not be convenient, but it's the right thing to do. You see, this is a serious obligation, folks. It's an important obligation, a serious command from the highest authority in all of the universe, but it's also a glorious opportunity. And I've got to tell you, it's a wonderful experience to know and to have that clear conscience and that peace in your heart of knowing that I'm doing my best to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you? Now, before you answer that, let me say, before you can be a follower of Christ, you have to have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the moment you receive Him as your Savior, all of a sudden, and you start following Him, you see, He not only leads you to a proper relationship with the Father, He'll lead you into the baptismal waters. He will. I, listen, because that's God's will that, you know, that after we've received Christ as our Savior, our first step in obedience to Him is to follow Him into baptism. He'll lead you, listen, He'll lead you into the fellowship of the church that He established. He'll lead you into the prayer closet. He'll lead you into this blessed old book, I think, every day. 
And if you're not in this book every day, I think it's because you're not following Jesus as you should. Have you come to Him for salvation? Are you following Him as the Lord of your life? And you know, it just might be that there's someone here today that you, uh, you've been saved, you've, you've been a follower of Christ, but some way or another along the way, something distracted you and you began to, you began to wander. Now you're off track. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, Bev and I was talking about something, and, uh, and I was talking about part of the burden of being a pastor, and she said, now you know how mother feels. Yeah, I do. Uh, it hurts. And I've got to tell you, I could name names. I can look out there and see empty seats right now of people that I know that they're wandering away right now. Oh, they haven't left the church. They haven't robbed a bank. They haven't done anything horrible. But they're wandering away. They are playing with danger right now. The safest place on earth is in the center of God's will. The most dangerous place on this earth is one inch outside God's will. Have you come to Him for salvation? Are you following Him as your Lord? And if you've gotten off track, it might be this morning you need to come and just, you don't have to say anything to me. Just come get on your knees and say, Lord, I, I didn't aim for it to happen, but I've wandered away. I, and, and, and I, I, want, I want to get back on track this morning. I want, to, I want to follow you, even though it's not fun, easy, convenient, or any of those, oh, those things. That's all right. I, I just want to follow you. If you can come to the end of life's road and they bury you and just chisel on your tombstone, he was a, or she was a follower of Christ, hey, that's about the best thing I could say about you. Amen. Let's stand. Father, how we thank you for those men and women, those followers of Christ who, who led me to Christ. Those that have been an example of the believers, those that have even, even through hardships and difficulties have followed you. How thankful I am for each and every one of them. And I pray this morning that you'll help us to realize the gravity of this subject. And Lord, if there's someone here today that's never received Christ as their Savior, I pray they might do so before it's too late. And Heavenly Father, for every single Christian that's here today, may we determine with all of our heart to follow you whatever the cost. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. As we